0: Hey, everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're finally talking about Ed Wood. Somehow it's been almost 600 episodes of this show, and we haven't gotten to Ed Wood yet. But I'm finally talking about Ed Wood, and I'm joined for this conversation by a very special guest she is the programmer and director of the Salem Horror Festival coming up in October. Please welcome to the show, Kay Lynch. Hi, Kay. Greetings,
1: my friend. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable.
0: Mm-hmm. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Events such as, future events such as these will affect us all in the future. Yes. <laughs> um... How is everything going with Salem Horror Festival?
1: Oh, great! I mean, you know, <laughs> as a producer, I I can uh, sympathize and relate to movies like *Edwood* very much, where um, you know, there's a date and nothing ever goes as you intend. <laughs> But you you need sort of a a, a sort of a level of relentless optimism and a little bit of insanity to get through it. So with everything that we've been dealt with the last couple of years, um, you know, we just keep on going. But I'm mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I really miss seeing people, um, you know, live in the flesh. We did it all virtual last year. Right. Um, so while there will be some you know precautions and it will be different than years past um it will be nice to get everyone back together
0: is there a virtual component to it at all this year or is it all in person
1: there will be um so the live event happens the first two weeks of october and then the last week of the month we will do it virtually oh very cool Yeah. So why not just do two festivals at the same time? Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) That sounds easy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So when did you first encounter Ed Wood as a movie? Were you familiar with Ed Wood, the person, and his filmography first, or was this movie sort of your introduction?
1: Um, this movie, I mean, I found out about this movie through my love of Tim Burton in high school. Um, so yeah, I was, you know, a quick fast fan, um, of his work with Pee Wee, Beetlejuice. Um, but I remember reading a book about, um, Burton. Um, I forget which book it was. It's was some kind of biography and, you know, they talk about the movie, Ed Wood. And so that's how I first became aware of it. And so because of that, I tracked it down. And you really, really loved it.
0: Yeah, for me, this is like... This is my favorite Tim Burton movie. Like, for me, this Absolutely. is kind of his 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 masterpiece. And he has a lot of great movies, but yeah, this one for me is his best.
1: Yeah, it's such a, a singular vision. You know, a lot of his movies are enormously imaginative and just like this a feast for the eyes Um, and all the senses. Really, it was just a lot going on in most of his movies. And, you know, you look at something like Beetlejuice, um, which is like, you know, uh, uh, movies on crack, (laughs) so much energy all over the place. It's wild. And with this movie, I feel like it's really quite restrained and focused. I mean, obviously the black and white, is one thing but it's it has a very it's and it's very well structured which of course is uh, a huge credit to the script which um the film shot the first draft of the script which is so unusual oh i didn't realize that the envy of thousands of
0: (laughs) this was the first draft that's amazing
1: yeah, I think the only changes there were a couple like omissions. They just caught a couple things here or there, but pretty much like I, I have the script and you look through it and you can read it along with the movie. It's, wow, it's it matches up pretty pretty well.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I um, so I was babysitting for my film studies teacher because he brought his class. Uh, and his name is JB and people who listen to this podcast know JB well because he's on all the time but I, he brought his film studies class to see this movie and I didn't get to go with because I babysat his son but I, hmm. he tells this story that the they went to a midnight show the night before it opened I think and it was pretty crowded and he and his wife turned to each other and said everybody who wants to see this movie is here right now and that sort of played out because the movie was an unfortunate box office disappointment, um, which you wouldn't have known by that midnight show, because it was a crowded theater full of people who were excited to see the new Tim Burton movie. But it turned out that the appeal of, you know, a movie about the quote unquote worst director ever made, which we can talk about, or worst director who ever lived uh is limited and not a lot of people knew who Ed Wood was. There wasn't a ton of name recognition and Johnny Depp wasn't yet the movie star that he is today. So the movie didn't do as well financially as it could have, but it's certainly gone on to find uh, an audience of fans over the years.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I love to hear that about, you know, the, the opening night because one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when they go to the premiere of their film and everyone, it's like a complete ruckus. Yes. pop guard on popcorn. And, <laughs>
0: um,
1: my favorite line in the whole film is when they're driving away and Bella goes, now that was a premiere. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's unfortunate that the, the movie did not um, go on to be as successful as its reputation is now.
0: Yeah. Only because I feel like, I mean, I guess Tim Burton kind of spent the rest of the 90s doing some interesting stuff. But at a certain point, I feel like he kind of retreated to a a place of safety and started doing, like, Tim Burtonified reimaginings of existing properties and stopped taking chances on, for me, like, really interesting movies uh, like Ed Wood. You know, I don't remember the last Tim Burton movie. I guess Big Fish was probably the last one. That was like, oh, that was interesting. That felt like something different. For, or big eyes, I guess. Big eyes was kind of different for him too.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that one too. I mean, it, it really almost is unrecognizable as a Burton film, yeah, um, in a lot of ways. But it is his second collaboration with the screenwriters um, Scott Alexander and Larry Cazuzzi. So I think you know, there's something to be said about right. having like a really good. Um, collaborative sort of chemistry.
0: Yeah. Um, so I did see the movie during its original theatrical run. And at the time I was pretty unfamiliar with Ed Wood and his filmography, although this did uh, send me kind of down a rabbit hole because then i you know, sought out uh, the book nightmare of ecstasy and read all about his life and his work and eventually got like a DVD box set of all of his films, um, which are not all easy to watch. Uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the ones that, you know, they show in the film uh are pretty fun, and I and I feel like I have some affection for them specifically because of the movie Ed Wood. Like I can watch mm-hmm. Bride of the Monster and enjoy it because I saw this sort of fake behind the scenes in Ed Wood. Right. Yeah, I mean,
1: the I think that um, you know the movie is such an ideal, idealized version of his life yeah. and his career yeah. um, that you know it's easy to want to <laughs> latch onto that and hold on to that because it is um, it is a really sweet story for you know um, a man and a you know a, a, quite a few people in his circle who did not really live a fairy tale. They did not get a fairy tale ending. Um but it's nice, you know, I'm sure that if he were to be resurrected today, I'm sure he would be thrilled by um how he's being remembered in this way because of course that was his whole bread and butter. Was kind of just um just showing the 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 show your most (laughs) uh, colorful version of
0: the truth (laughs) right right well it's so jarring at the end of this movie um and i want to talk about the the johnny depp performance in one second but it's so jarring at the end of the movie because like you said it is sort of this fairy tale version of his life and this idealized version of his life and then when we get to the like the end credits you know uh here's what happened to everyone. And it touches upon, like, he became an alcoholic and he started directing porn and he died at 54. And you're like, that's not the guy I saw this entire movie. That doesn't, that doesn't jive at all with the portrayal of Ed Wood that we got in this movie. Um, so it is an interesting collision of reality and fiction in that moment.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And um, but there is so, you know, of course, he's super sugarcoated throughout, like he's just relentlessly optimistic. But some of my favorite moments of his performance are when you can see how like maniacal he is underneath that sheen especially when he's like you know pitching to producers and just trying to get the or like directing the actors and he's got this big smile wide eyes on his face but you can tell beneath him he's just screaming <laughs>
0: <laughs> those moments where he's trying not to crack i have to i have 50 scenes to shoot tonight
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and, you know, again, as, as I've been producing events for 15 years, and that is, it's this sort of uh, mask neuroses that, <laughs> that you know it often requires just to, to get things done because you have to balance so many personalities and you're under so many constraints um, and you just <laughs> try to plow through. And I love, you know I, I, in a lot of ways, I think Johnny Depp is playing two performances at once
0: in terms of, like, the the sort of happy, upbeat Ed Wood and then the more, uh, like, stressed out, like, the guy under the surface? Is that kind of what you mean?
1: Yeah, also, like, the tension between art and commerce because there's the side of him, you know, he thinks he's an auteur. <laughs> he thinks that, <laughs> you know, he's making these, um, you know, these artistic statements or achievements. You know, he's he's trying to... Maintain the integrity of his stories and his vision, um but at the same time he's acutely aware that it requires money and having to seek the relationships um, re- build relationships with people who have that money to to bring his vision to life and so I think that also is that play where he's you know really eager to get his vision on the screen but the realities of producing anything really is so stressful, right. you know, so many challenges that um, you know he's constantly trying um, to to marry those two concepts together. Right. Much like in the scene where he meets Horson Wells, um, I think that that is essentially like the mission statement of the film, where he says. um, Orson Welles says, like, the visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dream? I think that was ultimately, that's, you know, Ed Wood's challenge that he spent his life trying to overcome.
0: And uh, part of what I love about that moment is that you can tell how autobiographical it is for Tim Burton as well. Um, And he's a guy who, you know, has had to, he's had his, his struggles in terms of marrying what you talked about—art and commerce—where it's like I'm making, I'm working in these enormously. You know, you look at something like Batman, where there's so much pressure, and there's so you know that is a a commercial film, if ever there was one. And he's struggling to still make it a Tim Burton movie, and he's very successful at doing that. You know, more so than I think a lot of the auteurs of his generation. I think. Tim Burton managed to make Tim Burton movies inside of a commercial Hollywood system, but that's not easy to do. And you can tell that, you know, there's something that resonates with Ed Wood's struggle inside of Tim Burton.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Tim, his style sort of become a house style in a way you know he's able to he's found a way to sort of like mainline the per- the Burton like aesthetic mm-hmm. in a way that it feels a little feels less authentic because of it like he's kind of just come up with this this sort of like default mode where it feels like a Burton film and certainly there's you know so many people who have been inspired by him that he's now can work with, um, who kind of feel like they know what he's going for. And um, when, you know, you're younger and you're trying to prove your merit um, and, you know, he didn't know when he made this film, he didn't know he was going to go on to have the kind of career that he did. Um, and so I think that the, a lot of that energy is apparent in his earlier films and his earlier films some the ones that you know m- many of us consider his best are the ones about sort of like the weird outsider mm. who has very specific fetishes <laughs> um, and i mean i am sure that's that's like reflective of who he is, so I think a lot of his films that end up being most successful um you know as as a as a finished film are the ones that probably he related to the most.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Where you can really feel uh, his voice and his personality and his, even when you compare something like Batman to Batman Returns, it's like Batman Returns feels so much more Tim Burton. It's the kind of movie you only get to make because you made Batman and it made, you know, a billion dollars. And so now they're going to let you do whatever you want for Batman Returns. And again, commercially, that bites them in the ass a little bit uh, because he goes so far with making it a Tim Burton movie that it ends up turning some mainstream audiences off. But, you know, for film lovers, it's like it's the greatest because you get to see this sort of pure, unfettered id of the director on screen.
1: Yeah, and it's all... It's a combination of his inspirations and influences, too. He's kind of just
0: like a kid in a sandbox. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, And Ed Wood is, you know, very much a movie about a group of misfits. It's sort of that classic Tim Burton uh, story of a group of outsiders, a group of misfits coming together, you know, for a common purpose. Um, With Ed sort of being the figurehead of all of them um and when we were talking about shows to do one of the other shows that you possibly mentioned or one of the other movies that you mentioned is possibly wanting to do a show on was Cecil B. Demented and as I was watching Ed Wood I was like well this is interesting because those movies have a lot in common obviously that they're both about these outsiders kind of making outsider art and is that something that resonates with you very much so because Dolomite is my name is a
1: huge, like I adore that movie. Um, I also really equate this movie with matinee.
0: Oh yes. And you
1: know, I think William Castle as a, you know, Hollywood figure is, has a lot in common with, with Ed and certainly Burton and Dante (laughs) (laughs) kind of come from the same school of um, film geeks made good. Um, And they both have, I mean, all these films, even Cecil, probably the least of the four, um, but it's still there. has so much heart in it. Dolomite is my name. There's just so much heart in in these films and and a love for creating art um, that uh, it's just really inspirational. Um, You know, people say it all the time. It's like a miracle that any film is ever made. Um, and, you know, that's not enough for it to be <laughs> considered great art, right? but it's, regardless, it's still a huge achievement. And while, you know, Ed Wood may not be considered, you know, um, uh, an, an artist in the classical sense, um, you, you can't say he wasn't a leader. I mean, for him to have accomplished all of this, people did need to trust him, um, to like him. Uh, enough to follow him enough to, you know, (laughs) work for free or next to nothing. Um, so I, I think that, uh, another element of, of his legacy and, um, of what makes this film really special is that people still look up to him, even if they're in their own little corner of (laughs) mayhem and perversity.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's even that moment, I think in the, pool near the end of the film when everybody's getting baptized, where the Bill Murray character says, How do you do it, Ed? How do you get all these people to, to follow you know, I don't remember the exact line, but to follow you into this. Right. Um and yeah, that becomes apparent even when sort of Vampira, who has her own corner of celebrity, as you said, uh becomes part of the Edwood company, you know, that she eventually and part of it is because it's financial necessity. She's recently been fired and she needs the job. But he's been pursuing her for the entirety of the movie and eventually gets her into his little troupe of of misfits. And it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, and and really almost entirely a product of <laughs> Um, just him never relenting. you know, I mean, just constantly asking,
0: yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. a,
1: a huge lesson, um, from this film. And I think, you know, people in any sort of, um, study of the arts that, you know, people want to be successful, you have to get used to hearing no and not taking it personally And just never stop. I mean, it's really about standing up. You know, after every time you fall, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And through sheer will, it's it's possible to get there. Um, You know, it helps when you have the right connections, or you already have money, or um, you know, you are an extraordinarily talented artist. But even sheer will (laughs) can
0: can take you places. Is that something that you carry over to something like Salem Horror Festival?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean it's um live events in particular the extremely risky, difficult, expensive to do at you know the level that I'd like to do them at. Um but you know, we're always just like the super scrappy operation where it's mostly me doing everything right. and finding you know people who have similar interests and goals and trying to create opportunities for them to realize uh realize them and, and in an environment where everyone is here i mean salem is on everyone's bucket list and, and, and you know it's a huge halloween town and so um you know i feel very fortunate that i get the Throw a party for people who just are total Halloween geeks, right? Um, you know, year after year. And really, everyone wants to be here in October, but it's the same thing every single day here in Salem. You know, nothing, anything that happens in October happens every other day of the year. The only difference is the amount of people <laughs> <laughs> that are there on the streets um, is it, quite different. But um, yeah, my, my entire. Career and events has been trying to create something out of nothing, and it's really difficult to rub two sticks together yeah. <laughs> to just like you know make something um, you know uh, materialize. Um, but it's really been a lot. You know, Edward is is definitely a huge inspiration. You know, Cecil B. Demented as well. William Castle is huge <laughs> inspiration. Where um, you just. If you believe in something and you just put everything you have into achieving it um you know you'll get you'll get there eventually and so I just try to look at every year or every project that I do is just one step forward um, and you know you make a little bit of money and you invest that money so right. that you can it can be easier or bigger next time around and Um, You know, I've been uh, passing that buck for quite a while I'm like, oh, eventually it'll pay off. But we um, we have, you know, we have been able to grow it to to a point that I'm really proud of and have been able to work with, you know, um, John Waters twice, Elvira twice. And so to be able to share the Salem experience with them and everyone who adores them um in a lot of ways you know feels feels like you know i'm sure the the pleasure that ed you know got when he brings bella onto the set and um you know everyone thinks that he's dead or washed <laughs> up or whatever but you can still see he's like oh my god bella's on my movie set right. <laughs> he's just freaking out um you know i i, I feel that way uh, a lot
0: yeah, it's that, it's that love, of, uh, love of what you do, um, love of movies, love of, you know, and, and I think Ed's love of movies, you know, I don't think they ever hammer it home uh, in a really heavy handed way, but you could just tell. And a lot of that is through the Johnny Depp performance, the way that his eyes light up when he meets Bella Lugosi or when he's talking about film. Um, you can tell that he just lives and breathes this stuff in a way that a lot of people don't even necessarily understand and it's what leads him to be, you know, at times maniacal about it. Um, I love the Johnny Depp performance. I know, you know, Johnny Depp in recent years has kind of been canceled and has become uh, problematic. But at this point, Johnny Depp was doing interesting things in weird movies, uh, he hadn't become, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow yet. And he was he was to Tim Burton like De Niro is to Scorsese. It was like this, right. this interesting partnership and produced all these really cool movies. And his, his interpretation of Ed Wood is v- nothing really like the actual Ed Wood. It's this bizarre stylized caricature. But it really works in terms of, like, making you understand just how much he loved this, just how much energy he had, why he was so magnetic, why people wanted to follow him, you know, all of the the things that we need to understand about Ed Wood come through in the performance, even if it's kind of this weird, stylized version of the guy.
1: Yeah, I wish, I mean, I, I have not seen um, any... Um, Ronald Reagan films. I just no, I haven't know him, either. Him as the president, but <laughs> I've read you know quite a few sources that mention that that you know uh, that was an inspiration of his. And so, but I read that I'm like, really, was that perky? <laughs> 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 really? So you know, I am eager to finally <laughs> kind of see where that that's come from um but yeah i mean you know johnny has a lot of issues um in his in his personal life but i i do think that his talent you can't deny i mean the, you know his his career the performances his choices are a big part of that what he you know chose you know the, the projects that he chooses to work on um and he, you know i think he himself pours a similar sort of maniacal um, energy into his art as well, because, uh, well, one, he's drawn to these type of characters. Um, And, you know, as an actor, you're, you know, uh, especially at this time in his career, you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. Nothing's guaranteed. And so um, you're just taking these risks and throwing everything you have you know, added and, and much like Burton was at the time, you know, you, the energy I think just emanates from that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, 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 uh, I love how weird he was willing to go with Tim Burton and I love uh, how much, you know, he's famously talked about, I think he wrote the foreword to Burton on Burton And he talks about how Tim Burton kind of saved him because he was stuck playing, you know, this undercover cop in a high school on 21 Jump Street. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Tim Burton finds him and puts him in Edward Scissorhands and it changes the direction of his career, you know, and it allows him to be not just a movie star, but a movie star doing weird experimental things inside movies that he could afford to continue to work. You know, he wasn't making independent films. He was working in studio movies, but he was doing weird experimental performances. And so um, of all of their collaborations, this one is my favorite.
1: Yeah, mine too.
0: I remember reading that Sleepy Hollow, um, that Johnny Depp is influenced by Angela Lansbury, which I love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you always. can kind of see it, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's so soft-spoken and dandy yeah. and, um, you know,
0: still uh, mesmerized by the macabre. I hadn't read the Ronald Reagan thing about Ed Wood. I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really curious. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, he could have had a, a career and it might have been short-lived of just playing the pretty boy. You know, right. Because that's, I mean, him and Nightmare um, on Elm Street, I mean, they are few people i think as attractive right (laughs) right in that movie and um and you know i think that that's was his initial trajectory and um yeah burton gave him this opportunity to show what he's capable of and i mean in a lot of ways i don't think we have many performers today that kind of have um a sort of like a lon chaney sort of career the sort of reputation of playing these larger than life weird misfit characters and you know he's he's done it many many times yeah
0: yeah it's i can't think of too many actors who are uh who play against their looks the way that johnny depp has you know Uh, brad pitt sometimes will do it but you get these people who are like among the most beautiful people who ever lived and then movie after movie seem to be actively playing against that image. Um, I can't think of many others.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess... Nicole Kidman will do it every once in a while, but, I mean, she's she's so prolific that she has a lot... way more movie star roles right, than, right. you know, than roles like The Hours. Um, right. But, uh yeah, I mean, he... It's almost like... Johnny, had, at every step was like, "What is the exact wrong role <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> for my career right now and and it's worked out really well and I mean, in the nineties uh, you know playing this character you know a cross dresser um you know that certainly wasn't uh a, a, an open welcome thing, certainly not in at Wood's time but um even in the nineties right and, Uh, I also read that he had agreed to do the project within like 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) The Angora sweater thing was a big selling point. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. That's strange. Or people will see that as being strange and something for him to sort of get into. And um, and he did get to meet Ed's wife, uh, who came to the set a couple times. Oh, that's great. um yeah she was like oh you look just like Eddie
0: (laughs) (laughs) one of my absolute favorite moments in the movie comes very early on before the reveal uh you know that he's been wearing the clothes um he's lying in bed and uh Sarah Jessica Parker says something about have you seen my Angora sweater and he's in, a like, an extreme close-up. He just turns over in the bed and looks a little bit panicked, and it's almost this, like, Douglas Sirk moment of melodrama. Yeah, It's so great. It's so wonderful, again, because I guess if you're seeing the movie for the first time and you know nothing about Ed Wood, then that moment means nothing to you. But if you know that he's the star and writer and director of Glenn or Glenda and that he is somebody who did... Uh, you know, cross-dress in his personal life. Uh, It's just this great little moment, not, and it's not, you know, uh, it's this moment of being found out, this fear of being found out, but also of tremendous empathy for him, uh, which I love. And I love that that's this whole movie, you know, is that this movie loves him and loves all the people that he's surrounded by to the point where, when Sarah, when Sarah Jessica Parker finally has her freak out, and her freak out is, you know, kind of valid uh, when you step back and look at what she's saying. But because we're so invested in this movie and we're so invested in these people and we love them so much and the movie loves them so much, we're so on their side that she very much becomes the bad guy in that moment. It's like, why would you say these things to these people? <laughs> That's horrible. Why? How can you do this? Yeah, this is not the real world. You're surrounded by weirdos and freaks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, you can't say that. That's a horrible thing to say. We love these people. Yeah. I, I also love
1: that um, his, you know, um, his need, his desire to wear women's clothing is not treated like a little detail, like, a you know, something like, this is a biopic, so this is something he was interested in, so we, you know, we can include it. It's very much throughout the entire film and it is an integral part of his character to the extent that you know him making Glenn and Glenda was really um personal Mm -hmm. um but as someone who's just started to transition and I've been on hormones for a few months now and I've I've recognized such an enormous transformation just in my own mental state of how much more relaxed I feel in my own body Mm -hmm. and Watch, you know re-watching the film um this the scene where he's about to freak out on the set <laughs> and he's like wait i'm gonna go backstage he puts on the sweater comes out and it's almost like he t- he took a valium right right like okay i feel centered i feel you know one with who my with my spirit and soul <laughs> and you know let's do this and so, you know i the the movie never um looks down on him and it um it really shows how important and integral this part of him was to you know him being himself and um and, you know that ed has told many lies or <laughs> fabrications about himself his life his history but one of the stories sort of apocryphal stories that gets told is when he was fighting in the war um that he was so afraid that he would get shot down because he was afraid of people um having to go to the hospital or people discovering that he was wearing woman's clothes under his uniform
0: right yeah Um, who knows
1: if who knows if that's actually true (laughs) i mean that seems like a a pretty huge commitment (laughs) to to, to those lengths to go into the battlefield like that but I don't know.
0: Who knows? He's a unique person. Very much so. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love that his his big freak out during Plan 9 at the end when he leaves the set and kind of storms off and he goes and meets Orson Welles. And when he comes back, he's wearing, as you said, the women's uh, clothing and that that's it's not called attention to um it's never in the movie treated as a like a joke or a laugh um it's just an understanding of who he is and and i like too that there are even lines of dialogue that attempt to sort of understand the difference between uh, you know i cross-dress and i'm A Homosexual, uh, where Patricia Arquette's character says, like, so you don't like sex with girls? And no, I love sex with girls. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, (laughs) this is just a part of who I am. And it's just a thing that I do, but it doesn't, it tries to understand the difference. And I appreciate that. In 1994, I don't feel like there was a lot of art that was doing that. No, not at all. I mean, so, yeah, so there's,
1: you know, they 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 sort of um, delineate sort of the, the line between, um, you know, homosexuality, transvestitism, even transsexualism with the Bill Murray character, even though he does ultimately right. go through with it. But he does, you know, after making Glenn or Glenda, he's like you know, your film really inspired me to just go out there, put myself out there, be who I am. Goodbye, penis. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I do think to a certain extent that is treated like a little bit of a joke, especially, you know, he he backpedals that pretty quickly with odd, uh, ominous backstory about how in he went to Mexico to get the operation. <laughs> he got in a car accident and like this band of mariachi players somehow saved his life. And he had the moment where he realized he didn't want to transition. <laughs> um, they don't really fully explain what happened there, but um, there's
0: like a whole movie there that I want to see.
1: I know. Well, his whole character, I'm like, I just want to go on adventures with him. You know what I mean? I feel like <laughs> Whenever he's not on screen, something crazy is right. Happening. <laughs> And and Bill Murray in this role, is, he's he plays this character so comfortably. Um, you know, as a performer, but the character himself is so comfortable in his own shoes as you know a gay man and um, or a, a queer person. Um, I love <laughs> when they find the the Bela look alike, and he's like, "Okay, now call, 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 sucker."
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Are there... uh, So, yeah, this is, you know, another great aspect of the movie is um, what an ensemble it is because it is about building this sort of makeshift family. Um, And I'm always a sucker for movies like that that are about, you know, building your your own family, I think, because I have my own family issues or whatever and have kind of had to do that, you know, in my own life is build a, a... a, not a replacement family, but just a, a, a new family. Um, and so this movie has this amazing ensemble and some of it is, you know, from sort of Tim Burton's own company, the way that Ed Wood had his own company that he worked with. So we get some familiar Burton players, including, including Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Jones. And uh, he would work with Martin Landau at least one other time at the opening of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Um but who are the the standouts to you in the ensemble?
1: Well, I mean, at its core, I think this movie is really about Ed and Bella's relationship. Definitely. Um, And just the performance that Martin Landau gives in this film is out of this world. I mean, it's just the amount of compassion this film has for him and um, just the gravitas that... He, Marlando captures in this film while still playing a man who's down on his luck and, you know, at the lowest point of his life. He's he's addicted. He's broke. He's, um, you know, he's looked at as a failure. Um, yet this film just falls over itself in adulating him and giving him so much dignity, um, without shying away from the, the darker aspects.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's, I, I think part of this movie's genius is that it doesn't necessarily, it, it, it sugarcoats certain aspects of, I would say the Ed Wood character
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, without necessarily sugarcoating others, as you pointed out. Uh, but it doesn't shy away from the darkness of the Bela Lugosi character. Um, and it it shows us a man in the throes of addiction. Um, I mean, the scene where he goes into the rehab uh, and is just screaming in his hospital bed is oh. haunting and awful uh, and, and brilliantly acted, you know, by Martin Landau. This is one of those performances where... A, a part of that is because of the Rick Baker makeup, but you just, you truly forget... That you're watching Martin Landau, and he really does become Bella Lugosi.
1: He, he he seriously does. I mean, it's it's unreal. Yeah, that that, that this is only makeup. Like, well, I mean, in his performance, right. but it's right. you know the the black and white helps. I, I imagine to, <laughs> um, but it is truly uncanny, and um, yeah, like that the moment where he's in rehab and the press come to him.
0: Oh yeah. And he's,
1: you know, really from outside looking in, he's like this sort of pathetic figure, but he feels like he's the biggest celebrity at that time. Right. Because people are just paying attention to him.
0: The first celebrity to check into rehab as he points (laughs) out. Right. Which I
1: laugh at because it's like,
0: right, you were the only (laughs) person. Right. (laughs) Right. There's
1: never been any other celebrities. (laughs) Um, but you know, the, in in the, this film has received a lot of criticism of of sugarcoating the Edward aspect. You know, uh, people talk about how Edward was one of the people who uh, manipulated or took advantage of Bella, um, at least to some degree. I mean, if you when you're a director, you're exploiting your actor in one way or another. But to the extent that he Bella had an addiction, um, and um, you know, was in a position where he couldn't ask for big paydays and whatnot. Um, so, I, you know, and I, I, and I read and hear that criticism and I think it's valid, but I don't think the film ignores it. I think, you know, there are little subtle moments um, that acknowledge that is what is happening here, right? Um, and I think it's you know uh, possible for him to be inspired and completely in love with with this man at the same time, taking you know while taking advantage of him. Um but as a film, what makes this film so successful is not that it is one hundred percent truthful, but that it, it is a singular vision. I mean, the choices that are made that Burton makes with this film. Um, is all purposeful and the sort of the the sugarcoat aspect, the relentless optimism, these are all like uh, essential to the film working. Um, and it's just such a tightly wound script and all the themes and character motivations are just so perfectly wound that if you were to, lean into all these, um, these accuracies. I think it would sort of water down the, the vision of the film.
0: Yeah. Well, to what extent do you feel, and, and this is a conversation we've had, I think on this podcast before, but to what extent do you feel like a biopic is responsible to historical accuracy or does making a good movie come first?
1: Um I mean, I think it needs to be a a balance to some degree um what I think that Scott Alexander and Larry Krasuski do so well is i mean they do the research you know they say that they spend six months as journalists before they write the script you know they they do you know they interview people who know knew the subject and they read whatever they can um But I, I think you know, so many biopics are insufferable because they're like (laughs) a a, a Wikipedia page brought to life. They're just like, and then this, yes, oh my (laughs) gosh, yes. And um, I think the reason why Scott and Larius are successful is because they don't focus on what happened; they focus on who they were, like the spirit of their character, the things that motivated these people. Um and the story sort of builds from that. Um, so, for, for when I look at Ed Wood, for me, this film is about um just ach- uh, pursuing your dream at any cost, just moving forward and finding a way to materialize your own creative vision and. Every single line in this movie is supports sort of that mission statement mm-hmm. of the film, and in a way that honors who Ed was, to the extent that it still meets the mission. You know, so he, you know Ed. Ed drinks in this movie. He Ed is not ignorant to the addiction around him. Um, he, uh, you know, as much as he wants to um see his vision realized he knows there's a lot of technicalities that he kind of has to bend over for the money people (laughs) and make compromises one of the things i like is you know right after the orson welles conversation where they're kind of like oh fuck the money people (laughs) 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 they get in the way of our vision um yeah, and Orson has that great line. He's like, oh, "I hate when that happens." When he's like, "Oh, they want to recut the movie." I hate when that happens. There's a lot of like r- really cool little inside jokes there. But he does in, in very shortly after in making Plan Nine. I mean, I think before it's before the Orson Welles scene where the the finances are like, you know, we should we should change the title <laughs> um, to you know, to, to plan, mm, I think it was a plan nine or yeah. if it was plan nine for outer space at that time. And it was like, that's ridiculous. Um, and you know, he's basically, you know, again, fuck, fuck the money people. But then after the conversation with Orson Welles and he's watching, you know, the, a cut of the film and he's like, you know what? This, the title ain't that
0: bad. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I do like that. They do give a moment to say that some of these compromises, Are are fine. You know what I mean? Like there's still uh, any film, even though it is driven by the vision of the director um, is still a collaboration. And the end product is never what anyone specifically imagined would come out. It's just so many things happen. um, And the film that is the result of it is just sort of this organic, uh, product of of that effort, and so I do like that they do give some room for um you know the money people having a little bit of wisdom
0: yeah that right that their suggestions aren 't necessarily completely terrible, and that that is a it is a necessary evil in the movie business, you know um the money has to come from somewhere, and sometimes those people are going to have opinions about casting or about titles or about And they're the ones who point out, you know, aren't they the ones who point out, like, the gravestone fell over? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which I'd probably ignore.
1: Yeah, Tor just getting
0: stuck in the door. (laughs) (laughs) That's a problem he would face every day. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many great lines uh, in the movie. Um, Are you a fan of the, the actual movie Plan 9 from Outer Space? I
1: mean like like you said, only to the extent that this movie has given it that affection right <laughs> I mean, okay and I've only seen that movie you know i i've I only saw that movie as uh the result of this film so right i, I didn't, you know I don't even think it's possible for me to um have any other context to some degree i I can't really divorce that um but I, you know, for me, it's like his films are these really charming relics. I, I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I, I there was a few times where I was like, I should really watch these again, prep for, for, for this podcast. Uh, but I, I just ended up with like, but I really don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I, I like them enough as they are. You know, yeah. just as the, the ideal like this film, the idealized version of them and you know while i might not be completely motivated to watch them i do appreciate that they exist i do appreciate his um sort of corner of fatherhood history i do appreciate that he has this uh legend about him and that his reputation has been reclaimed in a way you know there's golden turkey all that shit like you know kind right. of making fun of him um and, and i do i do love that and much like he did in real life in the studios just you know and people seeing him wear his clothes i mean he was constantly put down i'm sure and, and derided but you know he reclaimed it he's like well this is who i am yeah. and uh, i i do love that his reputation is Oh, cool! If I'm the worst director of all time, then everyone knows who I am.
0: <laughs> I think there's just a, a such a worse version of this movie made by somebody who has no affection for him, who signs on to make a movie about the worst, you know, quote unquote, the worst director ever, um, and that the whole movie is just is is the joke about the headstone moving. That the whole movie is. Look at how bad every decision he made was, um, and uh, there was like a little bit of it in uh, something like the Disaster Artist. For me, is like a little bit of that, where it's just like, "Haha, look at the bad movie that Tommy Wiseau made." Tim Burton has so much affection for Ed Wood and so much affection for the movies. I, I love, I just love the shot where, and I love Patricia Arquette period, but I love her in this movie as sort of a contrast to the Dolores Fuller character that we're presented with two different partners for Ed. And they're very, very different. Dolores Fuller is sort of tolerant to a point um, where it's a little bit like because of what, Ed can do for her. Um, right. And when she realizes, you know, she hits a breaking point and she has her freak out and she leaves. And Kathy Wood or Kathy O'Hara, you know, as she is in this movie, um, isn't necessarily looking for anything from Ed except that partnership. And the, so there's that shot of her just painting. The, the UFOs sitting at a table, painting the UFOs. And I mm. love that shot so much a, because of what it says about their partnership b because of what it says about filmmaking. And just like, it takes a village, you know, and everybody it's all hands on deck. Everybody has a part to play. Um, but also because it's, it's reverential. It's not, Oh my gosh, look what they're doing. They're painting the UFOs and he's going to put them on strings and dangle them and look how bad it looks. For Tim Burton, like, that's the part about Ed Wood that he loves. He loves the UFOs on the string. Um, And I could just imagine such a worse version of this movie being made uh, by somebody who doesn't have that same affection.
1: Oh, absolutely. Talking about the the relationship with Kathy, my favorite um, sort of sequence in the film is when they're at the carnival and they're they're walking. It's, for me, the best shot in the movie where they're they're walking through and there's the um, the Ferris wheel is sort of spinning right behind him. The camera is low, looking up at them and beyond um, behind Ed, the, there's this carnival of lights. The Ferris wheel is turning, and it's sort of this kaleidoscopic um, sort of shot where Ed is talking about his childhood and what inspired him and why he does what he does. And then they come up, uh, uh, across a dark ride, sort of like spooky house of horrors. And they go in and it's like, Oh, you know, all the really cheesy gimmicks that these dark rides have much like all the cheap gimmicks that he puts in his movies. Mm -hmm. But there's that point where the ride shuts down and the lights go out and all that artifice, all sort of pomp and circumstance that he's drawn to and has devoted his life to, in that moment, he reveals who he really is. And, um, you know, the fact that she accepts him mm-hmm. is just, you know, really, really touching. Yeah. And then the ride kicks up again. Right, right. It continues. But I just, I really love the, the choice there where they just remove all the artifice from it to kind of bear him. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and that he sort of leads with that, as opposed to the way he was with Dolores, where it was something that he had to... that he spent so much time hiding who he was, and that it took the production of Glen or Glenda for him to sort of come forward with who he really was. Um, Whereas with Kathy, it's something that he you know, reveals right from the get go. And she accepts As you said, she accepts him right away.
1: Yeah. And it's out of respect for her. He's like, right. I really like where this is going. I don't want to fuck it up. So I better tell you now.
0: Right. <laughs> so just, Yeah. It's, it's, it's really sweet. Yeah. No, their, their relationship is, is great. And, and it's, we don't get a lot of it in the movie because she enters the movie pretty late.
1: Yeah. She's she, in a lot of ways, she's like the angel that Sarah Jessica Parker portrays in the very beginning when she like drops down on the string <laughs> on in the the, theater. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And in a way but she that's the kind of role she came. She just sort of drops into his life and is this um you know almost like the the better version right. of you know the more idealized version of Dolores.
0: Yeah, absolutely um yeah i it's i know i I had asked you earlier you know about the ensemble and there really isn't a weak link in the ensemble everybody makes the most of their screen time and everybody uh creates this great character you know even the the two the two sort of all purpose actors or you know the max casella and um Shoot, who's the other guy? Um I can't remember his name. The, the, the other uh Max Casella's like buddy uh you know Max Casella for me at the time was like, oh, he's Doogie Hauser's friend. And so to see him show up in this movie Oh, Brett Hinckley, Brent Brent Hinckley Um is the other Actor. Uh,
1: oh yeah, when he yeah he. <laughs> what does he say? He, he confuses him for Carlos. Right. Carlos like, <laughs> can smell my shit. <laughs> Fuck you.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so great.
1: Carlos uh, <laughs> can smell my yeah. shit. Yeah. And uh, Max, you see, he looks. I don't know. He just always perpetually looks like a boy to
0: me. <laughs> oh yeah, looks, for yeah. sure. <laughs>
1: He definitely looks like he belongs in that time period. <laughs>
0: um, but even they, you know, as just sort of these all purpose, like their actors, they're grips, they're all over the place. Um, but they are committed to Ed and it's it's so lovely, you know, the way that they are committed to him. Um, and I love I don't think I knew this detail, but I love the little detail at the end of the movie during the like the where are they now section where it says that he started the that paul marco is the president of the paul marco fan club oh yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i mean so this it's kind of like the muppet show like uh oh the, yeah that's a the They like it's just like we're gonna put on a show, right? And they're this ragtag team of you know weirdos, um, that all have their own special gift. And you know, they're a found family, they come together and they recognize that showbiz is hard. Um, but it's sort of the uh, passion, the ambition to move forward, and things will never go the way that you hope um but that's part of its magic
0: right yeah um anything else about the movie that you want to point out before we wrap up i don't want to take too much of your time
1: no just if anyone hasn't seen it like or or hasn't seen it in a while you know just do watch it 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 really is i think a, a really special film definitely one of the best biopics ever made um there are some films from Scott Alexander and Larry Krisisky that I I still need to see like the People vs. Larry Flint. Um I've yet to see and um a Man on the Moon I haven't seen either which uh shares you know s- certain elements to Ed's story you yeah. know, in a way that's sort of like weird outsider. Yeah. Um and they're all from what I understand uh, and their entire they made a career out of these um, unconventional Mm -hmm. biopics Mm -hmm. about people whose story is not I mean no one's story is cut and dry but you know there's there are certain characters that are a little more complex than others right (laughs) and um I just I hope that um they continue to make films I think that they are great inspiration or great role model for writers I've been listening to a lot of interviews um that they give and i think that there's there's just a lot to learn from them about their process and there's just too many goddamn horrendous (laughs) biopets like really there's a lot of room um to to make them you know more imaginative and soulful yeah um but yeah no I just I think this this, this is one of my all time favorite films the yeah. film that matters uh, a lot to me personally deeply um, professionally I refer to it all the time when I'm feeling at my lowest I try to imagine you know uh, having a drink with Orson Welles <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that there's a lot of people who could you know feel will feel the warmth
0: from this film yeah for sure um no that's beautifully said thank you so much where where can people find you online or find out more about salem horror festival
1: sure so our website salemhorror.com we've got almost like 100 (laughs) films and shorts we have like 25 features we're gonna end up featuring like 50 shorts we're doing a tribute to um george romero who is another person who um, just kind of picked up a camera and said, fuck it, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so we got a ton of programs happening live and uh, on virtual. And otherwise, I'm I'm on Twitter, Video Coven. Um, and Salem Horror Fest is uh, Salem Horror Fest on Twitter. Um, but yeah, we are really excited for October. And um, just whether or not not you can make it in October we do just encourage everyone to come to Salem any time of year like there really isn't a bad time to to visit and it's a it's a really special place I mean obviously there's a lot of history here a lot of very bad (laughs) bad bad juju um but um you know uh, Salem I think is a city full of Edwards I mean it's it's there's a lot of salem has this energy that attracts sort of outsider mentality very creative people a lot of hippies Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and just uh people who are looking
0: to uh create their found family um so yeah awesome well thank you again so much for talking about this movie with me it was a real pleasure
1: thank you i had a lot of fun and it was great speaking with you awesome all right
0: well thank you guys thanks uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next week